Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But there's something else that Boaz is doing here that's really, really beautiful. Clearly, Boaz loves Ruth. And he wants very much to have her to be his wife, especially since she has, in essence, asked him to marry her. But there's something that Boaz loves more than Ruth. You know what that is? Boaz loves God more than Ruth. That's not trite. That's very significant. Boaz loves God more than Ruth. There's something that Boaz wants more than Ruth. Boaz wants the will of God more than he wants Ruth. Boaz only wants Ruth if that is God's will for Boaz. Boaz wants the will of God more than Boaz wants Ruth. Let me show you what Boaz is not saying. Boaz is not saying, I don't care what the will of God is, I want Ruth. And we should never say that should never say, I don't care what the will of God is, I want, blah, blah, blah. No, never. Here is what Boaz is saying that he wants the will of God more than Ruth. Clearly, as I mentioned, Boaz wants Ruth. Ruth's want Boaz. Okay. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Verse 12, there's a kinsman nearer than I. Okay. Boaz wants Ruth. Ruth wants Boaz. But there's a person, one person, standing in between Boaz and Ruth, and it's this nearer kinsman. This, ne- this kinsman is nearer than Boaz. Now, Boaz, now here's the thing. Boaz, he's got an opportunity here to insert influence into this situation. He's got to, you know, just a little kick when no one's looking, push the ball in my direction. You know? Boaz can play just a little trick now to guarantee that Ruth becomes his and not this other man's. Boaz has got an opportunity to influence that would remove this problem person standing in between himself and Ruth. And Boaz knows this. If it becomes known that Ruth was with Boaz overnight, it might influence, it would influence the decision of this other kinsman redeemer to say, I don't want her. If it was known that Ruth had spent the night with Boaz then that would prejudice that other man that he would say, she's damaged goods, I don't want her. Boaz wanted the will of God more than he wanted Ruth. And Boaz realized that if God wanted Ruth to be his wife, then God could work in the heart of his other man to refuse Ruth without him making an influence. He did, Boaz did not want to have any influence over that man's decision. Boaz wanted that man to make his free decision and not be influenced by the knowledge that Ruth was with Boaz overnight. So in that way, Boaz guaranteed that the other man's decision was going to be 100% 
from the Lord and not in any way influenced by the fact that Ruth was with Boaz overnight. That's the underlying reason why Boaz gave the strong instruction to Ruth in verse 14, and he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. And that's how Boaz, who was in love with Ruth, could say in verse 13, carry this night, it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the part of kinsman's part. That's how Boaz could say to Ruth, whom he loved, if he takes you for his wife, well. How could it be well? How could it be well for a man to love with her? Because the wellness of God is always better well than our will. And what kept Boaz from the destruction and the tension of the situation of, you know, am I going to get Ruth? Am I not going to get Ruth? Were his simple words in verse 13, three words, the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth. God is alive. God is not dead. He loves, he cares. His will is best. Now, we see Boaz now do something very strange. He looks at the veil that Ruth has, and he asks her, bring it to him, hold it out, in verse 15. And he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, laid it on her, and she went into the city. What's this all about? What's this all about, about putting out the the barley in the veil? You know, this is very significant. There's a significance to this barley gift. And we get it two verses later in verse 17, as the conversation is going on between Naomi and Ruth, and Ruth says to Naomi in verse 17, she said, these six measures of barley gave me me, for he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Oh, <laughs> so we see, Boaz gives the barley gift to Ruth, and Boaz is saying to Ruth, it's for Naomi. It's for Naomi. You know, he's sending the barley to Naomi. And so the barley gift is a message to Ruth's mother-in-law, to Naomi. What was he saying with this barley? You, you know, Boaz is saying to, with the barley gift, he said, Naomi, I know you're behind all this. <laughs> I know you're behind Ruth coming to me tonight. <laughs> Naomi, you and I have known each other too long for me to not see you behind all this about you pushing Ruth to me. Well, Naomi, I got a message for you about you sending Ruth to me to become my wife. And this barley is my message to you. And my message to you, Naomi, is I appreciate it. (laughs) He says, I appreciate that you sent her to become my wife. I'm grateful to you that you sent her to become my wife. And the six measures of barley is a gift from Boaz to Naomi. Ruth's got nothing to do with it. She's just carrying it. (laughs) And Boaz is expressing his appreciation and his gratitude to Naomi for her self-sacrificing and thoughtful love to be willing to part with Ruth so that she could have a home of rest and Boaz could have Ruth to be his wife. This is what's going on with the barley gift from Boaz to Naomi. It's a gift of appreciation. It's a gift of gratitude from Boaz to Naomi. Aren't you amazed that I'm getting all these names straight? I'm amazed at myself and I'm getting all these names straight. Boaz, Naomi, Ruth, it's not easy, I'll tell you. All right, but anyway, now we see that Ruth... She's now returning home, and Naomi greets Ruth in verse 16. So here's the greeting. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? She told her all the man had done to her. Now, you might be surprised at a question like, Who are you? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you're thinking, Well, it must really be dark outside. <laughs> you can't see who this is, you know. Who are you? No. And who is it? No, that's not what's going on. 
See, that's not the case at all. Because you can see, if you look at Naomi's full question, is she said, who art thou my daughter? She knows who it is. Naomi knows this is Ruth because she calls her my daughter. Who art thou my daughter? She knows it's Ruth. So that leaves the question, well, why would she ask a question like that? Who art thou my daughter? The answer to the question as to what Naomi was asking, you know, when she says, who art thou my daughter? It's seen in Ruth's response to her. And the response is that, verse 16, and she told her all that the man had done to her. Who art thou? She told her all the man had done to her. See, when Naomi asked Ruth, who art thou? Naomi is asking Ruth, what did the man do to you? <laughs> did he make you his engaged bride? <laughs> who are you? Are you Mrs. Boaz-to-be? You know, are you engaged to Boaz? Uh, you know, and that's what Naomi is asking Ruth here when she says, you know, who art thou, my daughter? Then in the next verse, Ruth is telling Naomi about the six measures of barley that Boaz has sent to Naomi by the hand of Ruth. And by the way, that's about 10 gallons of barley. So that, that's a pretty considerable amount. You know, they made stronger women in those days, I guess. That's a, that's a lot there. That's get 10 gallons. 10 gallons of barley, okay. That's what it is. And it's a gift. It's a gift. You got, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said it. Getting myself in more trouble. But it ended up so have you ever thought that the way we give to the Lord Jesus is by giving to his people? Ever thought of that? The way we give to the Lord Jesus, you know, you can't take money. That's what the one person said, you know. He said, I I wanted to give to the Lord Jesus. I threw it up the air. He sent it back. It came back down to me. (laughs) That's not the way it works. The way we give to the Lord Jesus is we give to his people. Now, Naomi now gives to Ruth a great advice. Great advice in verse 18 here. Then said she, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be at rest until he have finished the thing this day. Now, Naomi knows sitting still was not high on the list. Sitting still is not easy for Ruth. Naomi added these words of tender love, my daughter, as if to say what I'm telling you, Ruth, comes from nothing else in me but a heart of love and concern for you. Sit still. Now, first, let's be clear as to what Naomi was saying when she said, sit still. She's saying, just sit still. (laughs) She's saying, don't give in to a restless anxiety. Don't start taking other steps in this matter. Just wait. Set your heart at ease. You know, this last week, I had this remote control for some lights and it stopped working. And I opened it up. And I found out why, because the batteries inside leaked corrosive acid all over the whole thing. Had to get another one. And, you know, that picture, I was thinking, I was looking at that picture of those batteries. I was thinking, you know, that's a picture of us. You know, when we let anxiety take over, we burst out with corrosion and things are destroyed. And what Naomi was saying to Ruth was that Ruth could, could sit still because God was on his throne and all's going to be well because the hand of the almighty God is good and sweet. This is what Naomi is saying. The hand of the Almighty is good and sweet. This is so opposite of the Ruth we knew from chapter 1. When she believed that the hand of the Almighty was bitter and against her, Ruth 120, Ruth 120, when back then she said, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the hand, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord had brought me in home again empty. Then 
Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and that Almighty hath afflicted me. See, when Naomi came back into Bethlehem, Naomi had one message. It was bitterness. She said that God had done, dealt very bitterly with me. And now Naomi is saying to Ruth, just sit still because God's going to deal very sweetly. Sitting still, it, sitting still has a basis. And it's not, well, I'm going to sit still because I hope it'd be lucky. We don't have an Irish God. <laughs> we don't have an Irish God. We have an almighty God, not an Irish God. And so when you and I are in a very tense situation, we should sit still. We're resting on the basis that God is good, that God deals sweetly with his children. What people do, what we do, is a message of who we believe God is. You know, when that man took and hid the talent in the ground, why did you do that? Oh, because I knew you were a very bad person. I knew you were very austere. You're very, very bad. At least I could give you this back. You know, you're terrible. See, what he did, so, so sitting still is a message that says, we believe God is sweet, very good. And when Ruth decided to sit still, that brought peace to her soul. That's what happens. That's what happens to us. If Ruth decided to work herself into a frenzy of anxiety, then Ruth would have robbed herself of the peace that comes as a gift from sitting still. Sitting still is not, it, sitting still, let's be clear, sitting still is not going into a, a passive yoga meditation of a mindless disengagement with the reality around. All right? Sitting still that Naomi is telling Ruth to do is what is called in the Bible resting in the Lord. In Psalm 37, 7, Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Not thyself because of him that prospereth away. The word for rest in the Hebrew in this particular place, it means keep silent. Keep silent. Resting in the Lord sometimes is simply don't talk, don't say anything. But it's to have an assurance. It's an assurance like that goes like this. The decision on the matter, it's already been made. The decision on the matter has already been made in heaven. And when we rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, I remember, unfortunately, I spent too much time recently in courtrooms. But one time, it wasn't about me. I was actually a juror, but I wasn't chosen. But anyway, and I remember all the jurors down in San Diego, at Superior Court, all the jurors in the courtroom there had to leave the courtroom and sit out in the hallway there while the judge made some decision. And then we were all called in. And that's what it means to rest in the Lord. It means to wait outside the courtroom and then you get called in to hear what the judge has decided. So this chapter starts with Naomi saying to the Ruth, I want you to have rest. I want you to have rest. The ultimate rest that Ruth could have is rest in the Lord. Sit still, rest in the Lord. Sit still is also to be guarded by God. To be guarded by God. In Philippians 4, 6, Philippians 4, 6, be careful or anxious. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When we decide to sit still and be anxious for nothing, but just pray and commit them to God, then God sends his peace. And his peace is like a soldier that's standing sentry guard. He's standing watch. 
As a matter of fact, that's what the word is. The peace of God is going to keep your heart. The peace of God is going to be, it's a military, keep as a military term, means to stand watch like a sentry. To sit still is to receive the gift of the peace of God coming in as a soldier to guard our hearts. The peace of God that comes when we sit still, it passes understanding. So it's supernatural. Can't understand it. David said in Psalm 71 7, Psalm 71 7, I am as I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. When we are in a tense situation like Ruth was, and we feel emotionally exhausted like Ruth did, and we feel weak, but then the Lord says, There is a way. There is a way for you to find new strength and refreshing. And God says it comes when we sit still. And we're just quiet before him. He says that in Isaiah 30, verse 7. Isaiah 30, verse 7. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. So hard for us to understand that. Their strength is to sit still. How can our strength? That's what God said. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Same chapter down of 30, verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In returning at rest shall you be saved. In quietness and confidence, quietness and confidence shall be your strength, and you would not. Isaiah 28, 12, to whom he said, this is the rest, whereby you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. To sit still is to receive the gift of strength and refreshing. Now, I don't know if you've ever played tennis. I played tennis. I could have gone to Wimbledon, but I decided not to. <laughs> I decided to have lunch instead. All right. So it's not easy for a tennis player to transition from playing singles, game single, to playing games of doubles. When a tennis player plays singles, you know, he makes all the shots. Every shot is his responsibility, and that's the way it goes. You know, the court is his side, and he's only conscious of himself and no one else. But when that tennis player transitions to playing doubles, he's got to realize, I share the shots. I share the court, I share the shots. And I have my side of the court, and I have to be conscious of that, but I also have to be conscious of the other side of the court, and my partner who is playing with me, we are working, we are playing together, we are working together. Now there's two ways that a Christian can play the game of life. A Christian can play the game of life as singles, or a Christian can play the game of life as doubles. God has called us to play the game of life as doubles, where we work together with God. When we sit still, we are playing doubles when working together as God. This is what God means when he says in 2 Corinthians 6.1, 2 Corinthians 6.1, we then, as workers together with him, workers together with him, Beseech you also, you receive not the grace of God in vain. 1 Corinthians 3 9. 1 Corinthians 3 9. We are laborers together with God. See, before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we played the game of life as a game of singles. And the hardest thing for you and I to learn to do is to transition from playing the game of life as a game of singles to go into now play it as a game of doubles. Hardest thing for Ruth to do? Sit still. A tense situation. And God wants to help us in life. But if we hog the court when we're playing doubles and we push God out of the way, we exhaust ourselves. 
Because playing doubles in the Christian life is to realize that, you know, there's time for us to do our part. And then there's time for us to just sit still and let God do his part. And that's what God told Moses and the children of Israel when they came up to the impossible situation. I mean, they did their part. They walked and walked and walked. And then they came to the Red Sea. And now it's time for them to let God do his part in the game of doubles. And that's what he means in Exodus 14, 13, Exodus 14, 13. Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them again no more forever. To sit still is to see the salvation of the Lord. And to cheer when our co-worker God makes a great play, like in doubles. That was a good thing for the Israelites to do on that day. You know, and just to sit still, hope, like it says in Lamentations 3.26, Lamentations 3.26, it's good that a man should both hope, hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. We work, and we have to sit still, see the salvation of God. We see the Lord Jesus Christ sitting still and silent. He was accused. He was falsely accused. He was falsely accused in Matthew 27, 12, Matthew 27, 12, and he was accused of the chief priests and elders. He answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against you? He answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. You know, Isaiah 53, 7 talks about him sitting still as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. In 1 Peter 2.23, who when he was reviled, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. We need to think twice before we rise up and defend ourselves when we're falsely accused. And remember how the Lord Jesus sat still. Even though he was crucified, he saw the salvation of the Lord on Sunday, he did, when he was raised from the dead. When we sit still, we make the statement that we are satisfied with whatever God gives. When Boaz said to not let anyone know that the woman came into the floor at night, Boaz was sitting still and letting God be God. To sit still is to never say, I don't care what the will of God is, I want this. To sit still is to make the statement that we believe God does care. We believe 1 Peter 5, 7, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. To sit still in a tense situation is to say, I don't know what God has decided, but I know that whatever he's decided, it's going to be best for me. Psalm 84, 11, Psalm 84, 11. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. The Lord is a sun. He's going to give me warmth when it's cold. The Lord is a shield. He's going to protect me when I'm attacked. And since he has not withheld his best from me, Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? To sit still is to say, we believe God wants my good, and it will be good. When we sit still, we make the statement that our hope is in the Lord. David said, Psalm 27.13, Psalm 27.13, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, whenever I read that in Psalm 27, 13, where it said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord, I just can't help but think of those remaining Jews who were in the concentration camps and they had heard the Allies had landed in Normandy and they were coming, they were coming. 
to deliver them. Yes, life was miserable. Yes, life was very miserable. But as long as they kept that hope in front of them, the allies are coming, the allies are coming. They're going to deliver me. They didn't faint. To sit still is to believe. God is on his way. He's coming to deliver us. Psalm 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the examples you give us. In these, Lord, teaching characters, they being yet speak, they yet teach, Naomi, Boaz, Ruth. And so help us, Lord, to learn the lessons. Trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saris. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.